This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Hi everyone, I'm Samantha Howlett and I'm here with Gemma and Ian on the Big Scuba podcast and today we're going to talk about climate change, coral reefs, all the threats that are facing coral reefs and hope for the future. So here we Hello everyone, welcome to the Big Scuba podcast. This is episode 88. (laughs) Yes, my name is Ian, I'm one of the co-hosts and also with me by Zoom is... Hello, my name is Gemma. Hello everyone. Yes, so Gem, this is episode 88. You know what that is in bingo terms? Well, you'll be surprised to hear I don't. It's 88. Two fat ladies, 88. (laughs) I'm not old enough to do bingo. No, no, I'm right. Um, so <laughs> that's probably the non-PC way of opening a podcast, but there we go. I'm pretty sure they, I don't know, I guess they still work all that sort of thing. Yeah? <laughs> I wouldn't know, and I don't yeah. intend to know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome, and thanks for downloading this podcast. Uh, so what you're listening to, you are listening to a podcast all about scuba diving and free diving and diving and marine ecology and all that sort of stuff so if you want to know anything about scuba diving having fun underwater and you want to listen to some interesting guests and maybe a little bit of us prattling on about what we've been up to and diving and having generally having some fun and larks under the water then hey you come to the right place yeah and we also have fun on the water we do, we do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so sometimes we would put, put that on our social media. Yeah, we're a bit paddle boarding and a bit of kayaking. Yeah. So, Jim, uh, what have we got coming up on this episode? Well, episode 88 is dedicated. We're talking to an um, amazing lady called Samantha Howlett, and she is very into um, her coral and marine yes. biology. Yeah. So she spent the last few years, uh, well, four years uh, completing, and she's come to the end of her PhD. Yeah. You know, and uh, I met through Zoom, um, Samantha, a few years ago, and we got uh, talking, and uh, she was explained all about her job working out in French Polynesia. Polynesia. Polynesia there as well and uh, about studying coral and so if you want to know the ins and outs of coral especially coral bleaching you know it's a big mm. issue uh, you come to the right place yeah she explains it really well she does uh, you, you, you know so even we can understand it which is really good because you know there's a lot <laughs> to it you know there's a lot of science involved you know, and um, she kind of explains it. So, uh, yeah, I'll get my head around it. How cool is yeah. that? Yeah, so it's a really interesting conversation about coral, but the impact of climate change and what's coming up later in the year with the climate change conferences. And Yeah, there's a lot going on. And mm. uh, you think, hey, we're in September. It's come towards the end of the year. And, yeah, but so already, far. you know, there's still a lot going on this year and uh yeah it's a big one in in november um yeah. 
So uh, one to be looking out for. But hey, we, you know, we're going to talk about that in a little while with Samantha mm. um, of what you need to know and what you've got to be taking note of. So that's that. Before we get into that, we've got uh, some thank yous. We've got some new patrons, Jim. We have. Yeah, it's been a great, great couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. So we want to say woo, thank you. We love you know, we, we, you know, we love hearing from you. We like to hear from anyone who's listening. Just let us know you're out there. Um, and, but, you know, for people who actually want to support us as well, because, you know, yes, we, we, you know, we can't do it without a little bit of support. So we want to say thank you to Susan McDonald. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe she's just come back from her farm. Neil Allard <laughs> and Jonathan peers so we'll say thank you uh for all your support and that's yeah brilliant. it's great to have and you on really board. great to have you on board mm, yeah really good yeah so yeah and if you want to check us out just go to www.patreon forward slash the big scuba podcast yes so uh hello to you guys and thanks for joining this big scuba band of merry divers yeah you're part of the team yes yeah, part of the team so uh now, what's this about plastic art? You've 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 been sending plastic art out to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so we've well, we started last year collecting plastic off the beach. Yeah. Doing a few beach cleans through lockdown. So we've had quite a bit of a um, collection of plastic. So we made some art out of it, and it's been on our Etsy account. And yeah, we are winging a. A seahorse all the way to Japan. Wow. I'm right impressed with that. Yeah. So it's really good. So thank you very much. And apparently it's a birthday present for the person's daughter who likes collecting marine plastic. How cool is that? So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, all this sort of stuff goes on behind the scenes. And we would yeah. say thank you very much. And the main thing is, it's out of the sea and it's yeah. going to sit on somebody's mantelpiece or wall. Yeah. And it helps pay for you know, helps support the old podcast yeah. as well, doesn't it? So if you want to check out what we've got on our Etsy account, it's um, just go to Etsy and put in the big scooper. Yeah, yeah, we have, there's many bills and they have to be covered and that's just one way that we can, yeah, you know, help make it all work. So uh, that's brilliant and uh, do that. Thank you very much. Yeah, and do um, our bit for the environment as well. Yeah, it does, you know, and uh, make, gives the, all this plastic waste another home, doesn't it? Yeah, and, you know, there's load, there is quite a few people out there doing plastic marine beach art. So thank you for doing that. And yeah, yeah. anything that um, removes the plastic off the beach and yeah, gives it another life, then, uh, yeah, we're exactly. all for it. Um, I noticed, I uh, saw some good posts this week and um, mm-hmm. saw a really good one on seahorses, actually, funny enough. Uh, that's doing the rounds um, about a seahorse that gives birth. That's quite interesting. Um, but to, I want to just mention our good friend, a uh, good friend of the podcast is Christina Sonato. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the well-known people that a lot of people who you know uh, do follow. And um, she has got some exciting news that she shared is uh, that she's going to be, she's joined the ranks of, Bite back shark and marine conservation as an ambassador. Oh wow, that's good. Really good uh, for the campaign. Mind your language, 
calling on media to stop demoralizing sharks and only report accurate shark encounters. So, it's, you know, how cool is that? Mm, that's good. Yeah. Well, it gets the awareness out there for people as well, makes them look at other accounts and follow the bite back account. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, by sound of it, there's some um, other ambassadors there and some, you know, well known names. Steve Backshaw and Wendy Benchley. So uh, that's good. Christine is going to be joining them. So hello to Christina, hello to Kevin, and hello to those guys as well. Yep. I hope you're all well in the Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's brilliant. So that's good news. Good news for the sharks as well, because yeah. uh, if Christine is involved, we know that you know the Chris, they they're in good hands. Yes, exactly. So uh, that's all good. Um, We've got also what say uh, congratulations to people who we know, and uh, so uh, I haven't this year, but in previous years and hopefully next year, be back at doing some dive master work for our local dive centre. Our local dive centre is Crystal Sea Scuba in Norwich. There are others in the area as well. We don't forget them, and uh, but Crystal Sea Scuba. Big congratulations to Polly and Chris. Uh, 20 years. It's really good. 20 years, and especially in like the last couple of years, it's been hard. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they've been uh, been going 20 years, and um, but they started, you know, diving abroad and teaching abroad, mm. um, you know, and doing lots of stuff. And it's a very busy dive centre. Yeah. Always got people coming and going and on courses. They've got a shop. Yeah, um, and Polly is brilliant. She's just like very positive and encouraging. And if you're nervous, she just puts you at ease. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we want to say to, uh, hello to them and congratulations on you know being years. in business twenty years. That's, yeah. you know, that's a long old time, isn't it? Yeah. Same. And you can look them up on scuba4me.co.uk. Yeah. It's great you're getting back into the dive mastering stuff. Yeah, diet started. And yeah. obviously, you know, people know that we love our fitness and stuff. So, uh, yeah, working on the, got a few months before I have my medical. And, uh, yeah, be getting back into it. So, look yeah, forward. you'll be fine. So, so uh, yeah, all be good. Um, so, I think that's kind of, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, well, we've been working on our dive fitness yeah. So you've been pretty good with going to CrossFit and we'll be visiting the CrossFit European Championships this weekend. To yes, yeah, well, say good luck to those guys. There's four of them. Yeah, so it's competitions. Phil, M, Jem and Becky. So yeah. we'll be there Saturday cheering them on. Cheering them on. Yeah, I look forward to that. It's going to be good. Yeah. And, um, looks like they've had a good start already, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so, and yeah, just thank you to them because I think our fitness has increased oh, and it's yeah. helping, it's completely helping with our dive fitness, our air consumption, lifting the cylinders and just coping with the, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I don't think this is the first time I've said, I know I've said it the film, I'm pretty sure I've said this on, um, on earlier episodes before, um, but I know my air consumption mm. has definitely improved considerably uh, since been going to CrossFit. Yeah. 
Yeah. It does work, yeah. Um, you know, and your fitness does, fitness levels definitely do come up. So yeah. if you are, you know, you know, we come to the time of the year where, you know, getting darker nights and stuff, and it's easier to sit in front of the, the TV and eat chocolate <laughs> and stuff like that. But you're thinking, don't want to do it this year. What make a difference? hashtag transform and all that um you know then there is things out there there's loads of gyms you know get out there but also crossfit so look up go on the crossfit website and see where there's a box we call them boxes because we we jump over them quite a bit (laughs) burpee over them (laughs) yeah do a burpee you know but look up look on the website look up to see where there's a crossfit near you yeah we actually mentioned one of our fellow crossfitters last on the last episode with Shaf. Yeah, exactly. Shaf, a little call out, is a fellow crossfitter. Yeah, so there are plenty of physical gyms you can visit, but there are a lot of online crossfit people that you can look up on Instagram as well. And if you know Tom Wright at 03, he's another one. So uh, ask him if you're you're in the uh, pool area. There's, there's, I'm pretty sure there's a box down there as well. Yeah, and for all the people that are a bit um, dubious, it's not all about barbells and weights and lifting. No. It is about cardio, hit gymnastics, and you never cannot feel you're not being challenged. So. No, that's right. It's right. It's, it's very much tailored for your own journey, so to speak. It's limitless. So if you go to a normal gym, you might feel you've just reached your level and you can't go anywhere else but crossfit you can always go further yeah so there there we go so look that up right okay well let's just talk about our guest um because uh i don't think i've got really anything i haven't really done anything much this week apart from the social media side of things Mm -hmm. haven't been under the water or over the water since we last spoke so it's just going to be about the same so let's talk about Samantha, who we've got coming up on this episode. Yep, Samantha Howlett. Samantha Howlett. Um, now, she, as we said before, you know, she's uh, spent her time understanding, you know, coral and uh, understand what can, you know, make things better out in the oceans. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is a marine ecologist. So uh, that is her, her title and what she's going to be doing. And uh, so she spent a lot of her time uh, looking into the science and what can make things better for us. Yeah, she's been a PhD student for the last four years. So she's in her final year. Yeah, so uh, she knows the stuff. Mm. So I think that's kind of that. Yeah, so have a listen to episode 88 with Samantha Howlett and learn a bit more about coral. Brilliant, let's do it. Okay, Okay, so Samantha, welcome to the Big Scuba podcast and um, we want to talk to you today about climate change and you've got some exciting things to talk to us about with fans and drones and robots that all work underwater for the great big scheme of things of helping coral and uh, turning around the uh, the damage that has been done to our underwater world and turn those things around into a better place so 
Samantha, how you know, tell us about you and your history, how you got, you know, you're a scuba diver and marine biologist. How did you get into it? And you know, what got you started in diving and all these things? Okay. Um, yeah, so my name is Samantha Howlett and I'm a PhD student at the Lancaster Reefs Lab. Um, and so my I'm just coming to the end of my PhD and my research is looking at how in the face of climate change and coral reefs are changing, like the ecosystems are changing, you know, what does that mean for the future? How resilient are they going to be? How will they function in the future? So, um, so yeah, I've been doing my PhD for four years now. And before that, I, so I guess I started scuba diving. I uh, volunteered when I was, oh God, was it like 2009? And I'd never been diving before. And I decided to go off to the Caribbean and sign up for like six weeks or 12 weeks on this marine project uh, to learn scuba diving and learn how to do marine survey. So I went all in um, and I really loved it. I had such a great time um, and I learned so much about coral reefs and I had no idea of all these problems that they'd faced until I was involved with helping doing some of the monitoring out there. Um, So I got very passionate about it. and I absolutely loved scuba diving. I thought it was amazing to see this underwater world. So I continued my diving career. I did my uh, rescue diver and then my dive master um, in different places. And uh, and when I had my dive master, I managed to get volunteering, well, more of an intern on some coral reef projects because I'd already done marine surveys. So I worked in Kuwait, uh, I worked in the Seychelles for a while, um, worked in Ecuador on a project um, on different marine issues. Um, so yeah, and then finally started my PhD, which is based in French Polynesia. So I'm very lucky to be able to go there and be able to dive there. So you've worked in some really fantastic and beautiful parts of the world. And in fact, our paths crossed a couple of years ago when we spoke uh, by Zoom, didn't we? And you yeah. was, was out there. And as you said, you was quite early on into your PhD in the, out there. And yeah. uh, so, you know, it's great that you're now getting towards the end of that. That must be such a, you know, a weight off as well that, you know, you've come so far, you know, you put all that study in. Yeah, PhD is a lot of work to anyone who's thinking of doing it, but um, it was just an incredible experience to be able to go out there and do research in this really amazing place. Um, because having dived in the Caribbean and the Indian Ocean and then in uh, like the Pacific, I have an idea. I've seen myself of how reefs vary around the world and how the conditions vary. And, um, you know, the Caribbean is quite... Uh, has lost a lot of the coral and the biodiversity in comparison to say the Indian Ocean, which has also had uh, been, has faced a lot more pressures from climate change. They've had a lot more coral bleaching, Mm -hmm. which French Polynesia just hasn't had. So I've got to go to this place and see what a reef is like when it hasn't had to face all of these different pressures and the diversity. And it was really incredible to see. Yeah, and because also, it's that fine balance as well isn't it where we're trying to make diving really sustainable uh be to work hand in hand uh with the tourism industry 
because the local people, you know, they rely a lot heavily on the tourist industry. To place value on a healthy reef and having living species there has been really important for coral reefs. And, and yes, for sure, providing people these alternative livelihoods is really important. Yeah, it must be, be interesting seeing like different areas of the world in comparison to others in quite a short space of time. Yeah, and also um, over a long period of time. So uh, I was diving in Seychelles. I worked out there 2012 to 2014. And in 1998, the Seychelles had this huge bleaching event. It was really bad. And a lot of the coral died. Some areas have haven't even recovered they've become like uh, macroalgal beds and completely different habitats mm. but when I was there in 2012 so it had been like a, couple, a long period over a decade and the corals had recovered and it was fabulous for me to dive there I saw all the different coral species really diverse corals and then in 2016 there's another bleaching event and followed by a second one in 2017 and the reefs just don't look like that anymore. Um, so, and mm. we've lost we've lost even more areas there mm. that just haven't recovered. So, very oh sad God. that you know the more you go to these places over time, some of them are really degrading, which is really sad to see. Yeah. And the bleaching, what causes that? Just so that our audience, <laughs> yeah, can understand why it comes like it. It happens in waves, does it? It's yeah, so it's important for me to, you know, if you guys are interested in coral reefs to tell you what coral bleaching is, because arguably it's one of the biggest threats facing reefs uh, worldwide because it's a global phenomenon. So corals are animals. Not a lot of people know that, um, but they're cnidarians, so they're related to like jellyfish. If you imagine like a jellyfish with its like body cavity and tentacles living in a calcium carbonate skeleton, and then you've got like thousands of individuals of these living in one colony, that that's what corals are. And corals are the building blocks of the reef. So by building these calcium carbonate skeletons, you get these big dome shapes, branching morphs, all these different forms that provide habitat for so many different species. So coral reefs are really important because I think they cover like 1% of the ocean floor, but a third of all marine species live in coral reefs. So they're really, really diverse and really important. Um, but the problem is, is corals are really sensitive. So as soon as you get temperature changes, uh, even salinity changes, uh, things like that, then they get really stressed. And so what coral bleaching is, is corals have a symbiotic algae that lives within their tissues and they get a large portion of energy from the algae. And when the coral gets stressed, when water temperatures increase, then the relationship with the algae breaks down and it, mm. it's no longer like this mutualistic relationship and the coral has to expel the algae, which means that uh, they've lost most of their food source. And so if these conditions persist over a long period of time, then the corals starve to death, basically. So they, they can survive short periods of bleaching if it's not too intense. But the problem is, is that ocean temperatures are increasing so much now that it's getting higher and for longer. And so we get these really, really bad bleaching events, which means you can lose a lot of coral really quickly. So is this a, a modern thing or is coral bleaching 
been around and we're only now finding out about? Is there evidence that, you know, uh, that coal bleaching happened, I don't know, 100 years ago, say? Or is it just purely down to things that we're doing or have done in the last 20, 30 years, you know, say uh, bringing out, you know, because there's more cars on the planet now. Um, you know, is that just down to that? Um, so uh, the question of whether coral bleaching has occurred before is probably, yes, it probably has, because you have different ocean patterns. If anyone's heard of the El Nino uh, event, which is changes to ocean circulations, which means that I think it's coming off from South America, you can sometimes periodically get buildup of warm water. There are these cycles, but the problem is, is that the way ocean systems work is that with climate change and how the like global temperature is increasing, we're, we're changing all of these. And so some of these heating phenomena are occurring more and not even related to these El Nino cycles. So because mm -hmm. the temperature is going up and up and up, um, you know, one because corals can bleach within just a couple of degrees um, above their normal temperature range. So, for example, uh, when, when I was in French Polynesia and I say that this place uh, was quite uh, safe from a lot of impacts, my last trip there to do research saw one of the worst bleaching events that they've uh, seen in 30 years and nearly yeah. half the corals died. And that's a temperature change on the reef from 28 degrees to 30 degrees. So it's really not very much. But as soon as you get above that threshold, um, then they can get really stressed. And so year on year, as the oceans gradually get warmer, it doesn't take very much for us to reach above these thresholds. So it, it, it means that it is getting much, much worse um, and more often. And I, because it's such a short, because sometimes animals on marine life they just adjust to the new environment don't they but I guess because it's happening in so intense there's not enough time for it to kind of quickly change how it works no I know and the other problem is corals go slow grow so slowly so when I talked about these different coral morphs where you have like the bolder ones and then the branching ones well, the branching ones are what, what are called fast growing corals and it can <laughs> typically take like five to ten years for them to reach a full colony and wow. sexual maturity so they're really slow growing and mm -hmm. so when you have this event um, it just takes such a long time and the problem is is as we now get into further into climate change as it progresses we just don't have the time for the corals to recover so from the 1998 bleaching event when I went to Seychelles in 2012 it was amazing but because they're now happening more frequently they're just not given that time to recover. Yeah. When you um, when you mentioned you were talking about the period of 30 years and you think right 30 years that's a, that's a fair amount of time um, but when you actually think right in 30 years look how many cars are now uh, on the planet. They have technology is making us use more electric, more resources in 30 years. You know, we've got countries and I'm not blaming them, but there's countries like China, India, who, you know, they're all in the developing world, how they've sprung up over these last 30 years. You know, and you can see how, the climate is changing because of us um, in sh very short window where 
in that time, coral isn't getting a chance, is it? You yeah, know? there was a study that, um, so this year is quite an important year for climate change and coral reef studies. So uh, in, um, in November is the United Nations uh, climate change conference. So yeah. this is when they're going to review the targets set in 2015 and the Paris Agreement and see yeah. how well we're doing or not maybe to meet those deadlines. And then there's also the United Nations uh, Biodiversity Conference in China as well in October. So these are conferences where globally- That's in China. Yeah, yeah, so it's hosted in China. So yes, China is now one of the global superpowers and same as us, same as America, same as India is now contributing to this issue. So that, you know, we all need to work together. All countries, major countries need to work together on this. So it's really important because this is when they're going to set the next deadlines. And yeah. um, so I, this year I attended the International Coral Reef Symposium. And so that's like, you know, researchers around the world come together to present recent research and try and think about, and the focus this year was really thinking about, well, what can we present to influence some of these discussions to set some really ambitious goals mm -hmm. and encourage people to, you know, stick to them. And there was one study that I read, which I found thoroughly depressing, um, but it's kind of true. So the, the Paris Agreement, the main goal was to limit uh, the global temperature rise to yeah. 1.5 degrees yeah. uh, and then failing that, two degrees. And the way that we're currently going, we're not on course for 1.5 degrees. No. We might reach two degrees if we have some intervention, but... <laughs> The study basically looked at the global patterns of bleaching and threats of different reefs around the world. And under a 1.5 scenario, 30% of coral reefs will exist by the end of the century. Wow. It's really, really shocking. They really are on the front line of climate change. And so it's really important for us to, you know, kind of get serious with climate change yeah. and really talk about it. And there's, this is the one that... Um, as you said, in 2015, for anyone who's seen the documentary about Obama, who was the president of America at the time, he basically got all the powers together and said to him, you're basically, you're not leaving this room until we, we sort all this out. And is it going to take somebody like that to do that again? Because, you know, uh, that's kind of what it needs. Because yeah, we know for the last few years, you know, one of the biggest players got, you know, withdrew themselves from the table. Yeah, and you went from Obama to Trump. Back, <laughs> real back sitting around that table again, they'll do, they'll do something. But I suppose, you know, action, you know, words are great. Action mm -hmm. is a whole different story, isn't it? And that's yeah. kind of what we want. So are they taking notice, you know, when these reports are done and, you know, you said you went to this seminar where all the, you know, the thinking people who know about all this stuff all got together. You know, do they all agree of, of on a plan of how to make a difference? Yeah, so it's kind of like the IPCC report that came out recently, which is looking at the recent science of you know, how is the climate changing uh, and, you know, what are our models based on uh, on the most recent data? Well, we haven't really learned anything new. This is the shocking thing. Like the predictions that we made before are still, you know, the science is still very valid. 
and the same for coral reef research like you know we've known probably for a good 10 years how to move forward and uh and at the end of the conference it was kind of summarized as three pillars so the first pillar is uh looking at global issues which is mm -hmm. basically climate change um, and uh, ocean acidification, which is related to climate change. Then the second pillar is addressing uh, local issues. So we can make reefs resilient uh, locally by managing like locally associated, associated impacts. So, you know, we can not do as much coastal development, which then relates to terrestrial runoff. Uh, we mm. can, and it increases sedimentation and habitat loss. Uh, we can fish better. We can have mm. more marine protected areas, which help the communities, you know, come back. So, and then the third pillar, which I guess we can talk about with some of the robots and stuff is yeah. uh, active restoration. So in areas where we have lost corals and reefs uh, and we will do in the future, what can we do to kind of jumpstart those, that recovery process? Yeah. So, yeah. We um, should just explain for uh, people who are listening, the, you mentioned the IPCC report, that's the uh, climate change 2021, uh, which is down to the government, the, sorry, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Yeah. If you want yes, to look yes. that up, it's the United Nations body for assessing climate change. They've got a website, go there, get the report, it's on there and have a look. And there's an executive summary, which I also found quite useful to go through the main key points. <laughs> if yeah. anyone doesn't want to read the full document. The reading. But the main <laughs> yeah. thing is, you know, there's people who know about this stuff going to be talking to the people who don't know about this stuff mm -hmm. and advising them to say, look, you lot, you're in charge. You kind of got to be now doing stuff about it because the bit of the report I found quite interesting on the headline was is that they've been looking at th things happening or they can see where climate has changed down to stuff that happened in 1750. Mm. How far back they can track stuff and trace it. And it would take, so even if we do stuff today, it would take 20 years before it makes a difference. Yeah. 20 yeah. years you know, no it's crazy and so um when i was looking at the different case scenarios and even with some of the best case scenarios where we i don't know after at the end of the year all the countries go do you know what we should really do something about this <laughs> um even then emission the, the emissions that we've put into the system will still have an effect until around 2050 they believe yeah um so you know unfortunately that's the way it is and so we are already locked in to yeah. some of this progressing to yeah. a certain point and so we obviously need to learn how to work with that but hopefully that can encourage us to you know okay we should really do something about this now and get serious about it yeah, yeah. so you mentioned uh, coral restoration so is that the easiest thing to sort of tackle outside of trying to change the whole world with climate change? Yeah, so coral restoration, it got a bit of flack in the beginning because 
on the one hand, it's very costly. So you have to put in the time um, and the money to build these like coral. Uh, I mean, we built some coral farms in French Polynesia. They're just some trees of like plastic tubing and you hang coral fragments from them. So it's not doesn't have to be really expensive, but um, but it takes a lot of time. And typically what people have been doing when they're doing coral restoration is they grow these branching corals because they're the ones that bleach and die first. They're much more sensitive to coral bleaching and temperature change. Um, and so we lose them, but they're also very important because they provide a lot of habitat. So people spend a couple of years raising these corals, put them on the reef, and then a bleaching event comes and they're all dead again. So, so it kind of, some people said it was like a losing battle, but now we're looking at it in a lot more of a constructive way. So if you, especially if you're doing, there's a lot of places that are raising corals and they're trying to find the coral variants, which are a bit more resilient to bleaching. So it's kind of jump-starting natural process you have variability within individuals in any ecosystem and there'll be some corals within these branching that are more resilient to this heat stress mm -hmm. so if we find those and breed those and propagate those and put those on the reef then that's not as much of an issue so there's a lot of studies looking at trying to identify how we can do that process a lot more um, and the other thing is uh, there's a there was a study on the Great Barrier Reef, so the northern part of the Great Barrier Reef saw so, met, so much coral loss that you simply don't have the corals there to repopulate. And so that's where you have to have active restoration for sure, because mm -hmm. you have to wait for these individuals to migrate back, and that would take a very long time. Yeah. I remember when we spoke before, you... Um, you explained, and it was really quite exciting, uh, and uh, about using parrotfish and you're um you're calculating how many parrotfish have i got this right yeah how many parrotfish you needed to clean coral certain square meterage of coral how do you remember how can you explain how that worked okay yeah sure so a lot of my research looks at herbivorous reef fish so they're really important on coral reefs because they eat the algae and one of the biggest issues when you have coral bleaching and the coral dies is when the young corals are trying to grow, they get outcompeted, they get overgrown with algae and, and they just can't grow. So you need lots of these herbivore fish to eat the algae and allow the coral to come back. So my research has been looking at, so I've looked at long-term monitoring data of these fish communities. And then I've estimated by looking, by quantifying the contribution of individual fish. Okay, well, what's the grazing pressure at different periods of time and how it changes in response to bleaching events and, and storms and crown of thorns and things like that. And, um, and parrotfish provide two functions. So yeah. not only do they graze the algae, which is really, really important, but parrotfish because they've got really, really strong jaws. So they're called parrotfish because they're very colorful like parrots and they have these strong beaks. <laughs> and when they eat, they like rasp the substrate and they actually erode it away and, and clear everything off. So it's nice and clean and a little coral juvenile can settle and go, oh, this is good and, and grow and settle. And actually parrotfish, um, not a lot of people know, as they, because they feed and ingest all of this material, 
they then poop sand. So it's really important because they contribute to sediment processes. So I think it's like in the Maldives where a lot of the islands are actually formed by parrotfish feeding, no grazing in the coral, <laughs> pooping out poop. sand, and then it, it for, eventually will help form islands. So How cool is that? <laughs> yeah. So if you're sitting on the beach in a tropical area, you're probably sitting on parrotfish poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Just shows, yeah, everything's got a purpose. <laughs> That's the title of this episode, I'm sure. <laughs> parrotfish poop. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting on parrotfish poop. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. how, how many species of coral are there to kind of look at to, when you say about their resistance to um, temperature change? How many species have you got to sort of look at? There's a lot of species. So the more accurate question would be how many genera and higher taxonomic levels. Um, so, you know, you have parietes corals, which these are really, really slow growing boulder corals. And they're very resilient to coral bleaching, so they don't bleach very easily. Um, they grow really, really slowly, but they don't really provide much of what we call structural complexity. Mm -hmm. So they tend to form these big boulders. Not much can live inside. They can't really hide behind anything. Um, so they don't really provide much variation in habitat. And then you can get uh, what we call like plate corals, or I think now they call them like laminate corals and they form these very delicate folding kind of plate structures um, and um, they they kind of had mid-level bleaching um, and then you have the branching corals so you have like Pacillopora, uh, uh, Acropora and all these different types and so they're the ones that tend to bleach faster mm. but because they're branching. If, if anyone ever goes diving on a coral reef, have a look at some of these branching corals and you'll tend to see lots of little crabs that will live in and amongst the coral. They use it as protection from predators okay. and typically sit there feeding and you'll have lots of schools of small fish will come in and use that as like safe yeah. habitat and stuff. Yeah. So there's loads of different types of corals. Yeah. But this is the problem. In the future, the ones that can't survive under climate change we we will lose all those so we may have reefs but they may just be comprised of these really kind of like flat species that just yeah. don't provide the diversity yeah and then you're going to lose the marine life that obviously yeah settling all these coral reefs yeah yeah exactly uh, oh well that's uh, yeah it's interesting so with your restoration work what where do you start doing something like that so uh, it's actually fairly easy to do coral restoration. And um, there was a small coral propagation project at the research base where I was working in Morea in French Polynesia. But there was also a group of local guys that set up their own coral propagation thing. They're just local guys. And they were like, hey, the reefs are in trouble. This is something we can do. They called themselves the coral gardeners. You can check them cool. out online. Uh, they do a lot of really cool work. And they just built some, some of these like tables and took these small coral fragments and start growing them. Mm. And we don't know why yet, but what we tend to see is that when you grow corals on these like, frames and these trees when they're suspended they grow a lot faster and they can actually reach sexual maturity quicker yeah, right. so not only are we providing a safe place we're actually speeding up that process 
So, so yeah, these were just some local guys that went and took some small coral fragments, attached them to like little ropes on these frames and they're, they're growing corals themselves. So yeah, yeah they're not, obviously, they're obviously not targeting. They, they don't know the science between, oh, well, we can select the most resilient species, but you know, cause that's obviously, that involves looking at like genetic variation within corals and genetic variation between the symbiotic algae that they have and all sorts of things. But even just doing some form of coral propagation is still helpful mm. um, for them. I was going to say, is there anything like the everyday diver can, you know, who's not a non-scientist that can do something? I mean, there's lots of different things you can do to help protect reefs in the oceans. Uh, I know one of the big things that people are doing in the UK is diving against debris. So kind of doing like rubbish pickups and things. But um, I mean, if you want to get more involved with coral reefs, for example, I know lots of the, the people that you can volunteer and be a coral gardener and go out and help those guys and volunteer on different oh, projects. <laughs> yeah, it looks really good fun, actually. Um, yeah, much more fun than collecting algae, which I was doing for quite a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, um, and just to kind of like the biggest thing that people can do is just to kind of engage with the climate change issue and think about our personal life choices that we can make um and then also vote for politicians that are hard on climate yeah. Yeah. yeah well this is it and uh there's a guy in charge in america now who's pretty hot on all this sort of stuff as well so well he seems to be so uh, yeah, yeah so hopefully the talks will go well this year yeah and, yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be good and um I think what happens in the UK, because we all th always think about um, reefs just being, you know, in these far off, warm and sunny, beautiful locations. But actually in the UK, we've got our own reef systems and chalk reefs and stuff. Do we know of anything that's happening around the UK waters that where, you know, do we get bleaching around the UK, you know? No, so coral, we don't have bleaching in the UK because we have different coral communities. Yeah. So the sclerectinian corals that you have in tropical waters that build these coral reefs are a bit different to what we have in temperate reefs around the UK. Some more of the issues facing uh, temperate reefs are in response to climate change is what we call novel ecosystems. So because the waters are getting warmer, mm. we're having new species arrive that can live there that maybe couldn't live there before and everything's changing. So that's one of the main things uh, that is really affecting temperate reefs. But um, it's funny you say that. I have never dived on the UK coast. So really? I, yeah. Um, so one of the great things from COVID that I think is it pushed a lot of people to do more staycationing and yeah. explore around them. And I did my first ever UK dive in a pool in Chepstow. Wow. It, it was cold, <laughs> but it was really good fun actually, and um, it's inspired me to really get you out. You live diving. near the coast, don't you? No, no, I live near London. Oh dear, I thought you lived near the coast for some reason. Well, Lancaster was near the coast, um, but no, I didn't. I didn't get to do any diving around there, unfortunately. Ah. Yeah. But I would love to. So uh, there's lots to do in the UK. Uh, unfortunately, I had a lot of work this year, so I didn't get as much free time. But I had a list of all these. You things got a wetsuit. I have a seven mil semi dry. There you go. 
there yeah. we go. <laughs> which did me well in Chepstow, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really want to see a lot more of the UK kind of marine life. Around Scotland, you get the basking sharks come mm. in. I really want to go and do some snorkel tours with them. Uh, down south, you get like the blue sharks come in, lots of seals and different species. So there's, there's lots to see and do, and I really want to do that at some point. Cool. Yeah, well, it's good, and it's like an extreme from just like those warm tropical waters that you're speaking at, about at the beginning. And I was, I was sitting here thinking, I wonder if you've dived in the UK. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but I do want to, for sure. Um, but I think to do proper diving, I need to do some dry suit diving, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never done that before, so... Uh, um, well, you in the UK, you can you'll be finding your semi dry right probably even now. I would say um, you know in the UK waters, unless you're going like deep, obviously. But um, if you're only going to be in sort of like I don't know, ten meters, fourteen meters, you'll be finding your semi dry in the summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say it was it went down to around like thirteen degrees in Chepstow in my seven mil, and yeah, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> Yeah, right. You'll be fine. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say was also um, we should mention about our friends at the Reef World Foundation and uh, Greenfins, uh, because they do a lot of work with um, sustainable diving and the reef, reef, the world of the reef worlds and all that. So, you know, for anyone who is interested, it's another organisation that is out there who, you know, people can look on their website for different diving guides um all around you know uh parts of the world so uh to do with reefs and that okay so, so they're a global uh, initiative are they i think they were well they i think they're more over to sort of the um malaysia and indonesia around that way but oh, okay. you know uh they they've got various guides about diving sustainable diving uh tourism uh, if people are interested you can go on there and you I'm pretty sure you could adapt for UK and anywhere else. But, you know, it's all it's all good stuff. So I want to give them a mention as we're talking about reefs. Um, yeah, and well. for people that go on holiday, I think they kind of direct people or give them information where, you know, it's a, a yeah. good, uh, say, scuba school or a liverboard to go on because they are very conscious about the environment. They are, yeah. I know they help... Um, people like blue o2 don't they with mm. guides and that so uh yeah they're good good organization to uh look up really. oh that's really interesting i need to i will look into their sort of stuff and see what they have so yeah. That's yeah. Great. yeah um so we talked about some of the doom and gloom and the you know where we are with what's happening and what's kind of going wrong let's talk a little bit about you know some of these ideas and some of the systems that are now in place and what people are now trying because there is some exciting projects out there where people around you know especially in australia it seems um we mentioned these um aquatic fans yes so the aquatic fans so this was um so one of the things that we talked about at icrs is the role that technology will play in yeah. fighting climate change so you know we have uh, so much more at our disposal now than we ever did. And we understand these systems a lot more. So, you know, what can we use to really fight this? And um, so 
uh, one of the ones I sent to you was the robot that plants coral out on the reef. And that's really, really useful because as we talked about, it's really important to help these communities recover. And if we can get lots of coral juveniles out there, the more that can survive and become adults and the faster that process happens, that's great. Um, and that's really time consuming if you have individual people doing all of that. Yeah. So that's really a really good use of technology. Yeah. The underwater fans, the concept for these is that, okay, so corals are bleaching because ocean temperatures are getting higher. So, you know, water, ocean water has layers, which, you know, in different temperatures. So what about if we use fans to pull cold water up from these lower levels to kind of cool the reefs? So this, the, I get the idea and concept, but there's, there's problems with this that we need to think about. So um, corals live in very nutrient poor water and uh, typically when you go to these cold deep water layers they're nutrient rich so we don't know what the impact of that is going to be bringing this nutrient rich water to the reefs so um, so there's pros and cons uh, it will be interesting to see if they trial this um, because there's you know there's lots of research out there talking about how reefs exist in these low nutrient conditions and the fact that a lot of species rely on you know nutrients coming in from the open ocean and plankton and you know feeding on plankton and things like that I mean maybe that could be beneficial mm -hmm. but we've also seen that nutrients associated with terrestrial runoff is very bad for environments so you know it tends to cause algae to overgrow Right. So it's a bit difficult to know, you know, if that's going to be a magic solution or yeah. not. So they could be too uh, good at their job, really. And, you know, as you say, change that whole environment. Sometimes, you know, I've always said to my kids, um, nature finds a way. You know, if, if and sometimes. Wasn't that in Jurassic Park? No. I know that was life finds a way. Was that? But it's the same thing, isn't it? It does. But, you know, and you look at, you know, how some animals exist, they coexist, you know, one thing will help another. Uh, you mentioned it just earlier, you know, um, you know, but nature generally finds a way to sort a problem out. Yeah, so species will change and adjust. And so going back to my uh, example in the Seychelles, where I said, after that big bleaching event, some areas didn't recover. Yeah. So they don't have coral there anymore, but they've got these macroalgal beds. And there was a chap in our lab who looked at the contribution of different fish species to the local fishermen's catch. So Seishawa people are really proud fishermen. Like it's been part of their culture since since people have been there, yeah. and and that's a big source of protein for them mm. because they can't farm the land. It's all this granitic, you know. Anyone who tries to farm there is it's not going to happen. So fishing is really important for them. And what one of my friends has actually found is that you might have different species now inhabiting these macroalgal beds, but they're actually keeping the fishing productivity at the same level. So the impact for fisheries, for local people from this bleaching event isn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. I mean, tourists don't want to go and swim in a macroalgal bed. They want to go and see <laughs> coral. But, but, you know, as you say, like species adjust and will live in different areas and it yeah. will provide different services. Mm. 
Yeah, but it's, it's time is never on anybody's side, is it? So it's trying to get on top of all this before time runs away. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So, and we read about um, things eating like the... the yeah. Dra you're using drones as well, underwater drones? Yep. So Australia obviously have a lot of money to put into <laughs> research and build fun things. Um, so the another problem that coral reefs have faced in different places is an outbreak of the sea star that eats coral. So it's called crown of thorns and they, they're these really big prickly starfish that are on the reef. And they will, when you have an outbreak, so they can uh, multiply very rapidly and then you know they just go through and eat a lot of coral and th this can happen very quickly and so when an outbreak happens we have to go out and collect all of them or kill them or remove them so they don't eat all the coral mm. it's very time consuming work again and apparently in australia they've built some robots to be able to go out and do that for them which i mean how you would program a robot to recognize one starfish against another starfish yeah. and you know that must have been a lot of work going into that so it's yeah. very impressive mm. obviously marine scientists were out there do, doing all that <laughs> yeah well that's a lot of technology uh, advancement there as well uh, yeah but you know it's a technological world isn't it and obviously nature but the two can work together for the greater scheme of things yeah yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I did in my research, because I want to quantify the grazing impact of different communities. And so what I did was I built these stereo camera frames. So you have two cameras, which kind of face slightly inwards, right. and it works the same way as our eyes and how we can judge distances when you have two cameras at, a, at an angle looking at the same thing, you yeah. get depth perspective and things mm. like that so so I put these cameras out filming and it gives you it allows you to kind of create like a 3d model you can get dimensions of the reef so when the fish came in I could see you know how big they were because depending on how big a fish is will mean it might have more of an impact on the environment and things like that so yeah that was good fun building these camera frames and putting them out on the reef and then you know stitching them together and putting this footage to see yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anybody thinking about yeah, looking into coral in greater depth, either for a PhD, it's not just about like scuba diving and swimming around looking at corals. No, and in fact, if you want to just swim around and look at corals, I probably suggest going on a liverboard because yeah. <laughs> you get to see a lot more. Um, but no, I mean I did get to do a lot of diving, even if I was scrubbing cages and things like that for hours. So but isn't that the beauty of diving you know when you when you learn to dive um you know we've had many people come on who are you know divers and then that since they've passed their certificate of uh they've gone on to do you know various things and you're you're more proof of that you know you learn to dive and look at look at all the work you're doing it's brilliant and uh it's a, it's a great sport you know, but it's also can be used for great things, you know, and uh, it's brilliant. The, I think the more you dive, the more you want to learn because you realise yeah. there's more to learn about and do. And, you know, there's just so many different avenues you can take with diving um, that yeah. 
you know which is great so yeah. yeah so what are your plans when you complete your PhD what have you got like a, a road you're going to go down uh well that's uh a bit uh how to say the higher up you get in academia the less jobs there are and the more competitive it gets mm-hmm. so I would love to stay in research I would love to get another research job but I am looking at branching out to do more boring stuff like data analysis and things like that. Um, one of the things that I do for my PhD is geographical information systems. So doing a lot of mapping and mapping technology. Uh, and there's a lot of work in that now where you mm-hmm. can take satellite data and look at elevation and calculate flood risks and things like yeah. that. All that kind of translates. So, um, yeah, we, we Which will is see. kind of climate related as well, isn't it? You know, because... You know, flooding is coming more and more, uh, you know, to the headlines, you know, it's affecting us all at different times at different parts of the world. So, you know, it's all stuff that's needed. And I was thinking that another thing, what about like um, the hydro surveys where they, they map in the seabed, you know, for like wind farms and all those sort of things, you know, is there any way you could get involved with something like that? I mean, I would imagine that's still related to GIS. You know, you're you're spatially mapping areas uh, and doing analysis with different different data and features. Yeah. You're looking at elevation and things. Um, so, if something comes up like that, I I I would love to do something connected to environmental issues for sure. Yeah. Um, but as you can as you say, there's so many different ways to do that. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to someone a while ago and she was doing that for, um, she came on to do uh, open water. And, you know, as you talk to people and she was doing that for the Royal Navy. Oh, wow. Because a lot of the maps are out of date. So when they got the aircraft carrier in with the draft that, that had, a lot of these areas all had to be remapped. Mm. Um, and I suppose they need to know where, you know, if there's areas of corals and stuff that need to be protected, mm. they need to know about all that. Um, so, yeah, and all of that will change over time with erosion and different things. So, yeah. you yeah, constantly need to update them, I would imagine. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, it shows to any, you know, youngsters that are listening that, yeah, scuba diving just literally opens up the world for you, doesn't it? And, you know, you've traveled really all over and it's a, yeah, such a great thing and an experience to have. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, and yeah, there's so many possibilities out there. I think I think I got into coral reefs because they're so engaging. You know, the species that, you, that live there are just so, you know, charismatic and things like that. So, um, but, you know, like I was saying, there's so, so much marine life in the mm. UK and on our shores. And I really want to learn more about that because you know, it's, I just feel very sad that I don't know about all these species and things. So, yeah, yeah hopefully in the future we can talk a bit more about, I'll be able to go diving, we can talk about UK. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we um, we always ask our guests some set questions and uh, kind of warned you at the start, you know, that we'd be asking, <laughs> asking you about these questions. So, Jem, do you want to kickstart? Yep. Um, well, the, it's quite a new question that we ask people. Um, so it's about if you could go on a liverboard anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Uh, 
do I have as much money as I would like? Uh, unlimited, <laughs> yes. Unlimited, okay. Uh, 100% I would like to go on a liverboard to Darwin's Arch in the Galapagos and around those areas. Um, I was very fortunate to go to the Galapagos for a short trip and, uh, and do a couple of dives. And, you know, you get the schooling hammerheads there. Yeah. And so I saw a couple that did come by, but nothing like some of the footage you see, which is like, you know, Darwin's Arch, which unfortunately collapsed this year. Yeah. So now it's mm -hmm. Darwin's Pillars, maybe. Um, but yeah, you get the huge schools of sharks there. And you see the really, really big female whale sharks, which uh, in Seychelles you get whale sharks, uh, but you tend to get juvenile males. So you don't, you don't tend to get adults. So I did see a whale shark once and it was a juvenile at like five meters. So to see one of the adults would be incredible. So really big females, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've spoken to the Galapagos Whale Project and yeah, just these whale sharks, they move all around the world. And then there's this unknown patch where, where do they go? Yeah. yeah, we know so little about them. It's absolutely crazy, these yeah. big, big animals. Yeah, they turn up pregnant. And then they disappear and then they come back with a calf and they're like, where did that happen? Yeah. And where are all the babies? Yeah. So I love that. I love the fact that there's still this element that we don't know. Yeah. You know, there's still some mystery in the oceans. I love that. You know, I, sometimes it's good to have a mystery and that we don't know all the facts yet, you know, yeah. and uh, with that, especially with an animal or so. You know, I really like that. And I'm um, with you with the Galapagos, you know, uh, love, you know, I'd love to go there one day. So uh, mm -hmm. as you say, it's a lot of money. Um, if you could take three guests, uh, three divers from history, no matter who or from how far back, but if you could grab them, take them down to a dive and maybe even show them, look, this coral, you know, who would you take and why? So that's a difficult question for me because I maybe don't follow a lot of scuba divers, but maybe the it's two that would come to mind, the two that would come to mind initially, one would be um, oh God, uh, well Jacques Cousteau, because uh, going back to the old days when they did ocean exploration and it, you know old school science was you go and you discover a species and then you bring it back and look at this strange creature I'd found and things like that was the old school days of science and discovery mm -hmm. um uh and then yeah to go and diving with them now I wonder what they could teach me on what has changed in that time um and Sylvia Earle is another kind of like one of the main you know names in marine research she's a champion for really pushing for the oceans and how important the oceans are for you know the mm. the world and our ecosystems and stuff uh um, birthday the other day happy birthday sylvia yeah happy <laughs> birthday sylvia and thank you for all the incredible work that you've been doing as well oh and then number three oh this is a very tough one actually um yeah uh god i can't really think this is really bad it would be maybe another naturalist so from the old days do you know what i can't think of his name this is really bad i can see his face um this question stumped me a little bit but it'd be related <laughs> to jacques Cousteau yeah. and just kind of have 
some people from the old days who have done marine research. Uh, so for example, I don't know if this fits, but there's a book that I've read about Seychelles and it was written by a chap who went there in the 1950s. Okay. And this was when scuba gear has only just really becoming available to the general public. Like mm -hmm. it, it just wasn't a thing that people had. Mm -hmm. And he was a British guy and he took scuba gear out to the Seychelles and used it to fish for snails, which weren't accessible for people freediving. And so it was his business venture and he <laughs> sailed all around the Seychelles and the stories of the things that he's seen, it's just, it's a really incredible read. Um, and again, it'd be fun to dive with him and yeah. learn from him, you know, how the oceans have changed, because I'm sure the reefs have a lot in those days. Yeah. Maybe we'll, if you can think of the name, we'll add it in at the end. Yeah, be a good read for people to have. <laughs> so, so the author was William Travis and oh, no. the book is called Beyond the Reefs. Yeah. OK, we have to look that one up. It's always interesting. Yeah. To get inspired by the underwater world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a fun read because in the book, they, they have these big groupers like potato groupers and Seychelles, which aren't as common now, unfortunately, because they're big fish and they've been overfished. Mm -hmm. um, but back then they obviously were. And groupers are um, territorial fish. So they have an area that's theirs and they hang out there and defend it. And, you know, he has stories of these great big fish coming and bumping him up saying, oi, you're on my patch, you know, get out of here, sort of thing. And and I, I saw that a little bit in Seychelles. There was a grouper that lived in our bay. And when we did our deep dive, um, I don't know if you guys have ever done this on diving training, where you crack an egg underwater and you yeah. pass it around. This grouper learnt that we did it every month. And so when we turned up to crack the egg, we'd sit down and this fish would sit next to us and wait for us to crack this egg. Right. So They're intelligent, yeah, really. Yeah. Really intelligent, yeah. And I just love those sorts of stories because you know it really brings the reef to life and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fab. Um, so on to our third question. So this one is if you could. If you had a billboard that the whole world could see, what would you put on it? It could be a statement, it could be a picture, it could be a video, but what would you choose to put out there so the rest of the world could read it or hear it? But this is a tough one because, you know, working in environmental issues, you could do shock statements. So a lot of people that are involved in coral reef research have these images of like before and after these mm. big bleaching events or storms and you know we've done that and to what to what extent does that generate change and awareness is debatable um people sometimes become numb to seeing these images like starving children in africa you know unfortunately we've become desensitized mm. so that's a really tricky question um i don't know i think um just something about caring about climate change because uh, I very much believe that individual people are inherently good and want to do the right thing yeah. and it's just getting people to understand and engage with issues and how we do that is a really really big question so mm -hmm. so yeah again I might have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but it's true you know things that have improved you know and we shouldn't forget that you know uh, and people are generally try and be good and do good aren't they so uh, they 
and positive as well because you can't be all doom and gloom about this it's you know like face it look to the future and just like positively do something yeah and everyone plays a part yeah yeah Yeah. every little helps it's you know anybody can do something and that leads to yeah greater change yeah exactly so one of the small things I've been trying to do is to have a few more dairy alternatives in my life um, because a lot of research has shown that uh, cattle rearing and then soy like soy crops that then go for uh, like animal feed Mm -hmm. is one of the major contributors to like uh, deforestation and um, you know habitat loss and emissions as well so I mean I, I have yet to find a dairy alternative that tastes good in tea, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of them, that. a lot of them work quite well with coffee and muesli and stuff. So I'm trying to do a bit more of that and and just having a bit less meat and things like that. So yeah. all these sorts of things by changing our mindset and just understanding that this can help um, is is good as well. Yeah, and oh, that's great. Yeah, to hear this. Yeah, and it is literally make a change and it will make a difference. Yeah. We can do it. Yeah, we can. <laughs> we are clever, resourceful species and we can definitely do this. Yeah. Well, we come up with the technology that's made all these things. So we can come up with the technology to put it all right. So, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's not really that hard. We need to emit less CO2 and absorb more into habitats and sequester more carbon so we kind of know how to do this and green technology is coming along all the time Mm. so and it's becoming much more readily available so yeah well done humans we can do this yeah yeah absolutely so for anyone who is listening to this and thinking um i want to know some more uh i want to know about you know they want to keep up with what you're up to uh where do they need to go to follow you know some of the work that you're doing um and plus if they want to know more about climate change say or as a diver where, where are they best to go to so i can share links to some of the sources that i got some of my stats from that we talked about today yeah. uh, and there's lots of material out there that people can go and read um for anyone who is interested in in my research and what i'm doing i have a twitter account uh sj howlett um and feel free to follow me there um i'll post some updates on my research and uh and as that as as those publications come out so what's next yeah hopefully we'll inspire some budding marine biologists no that's awesome that's great and uh i think it's great that you guys are so proactive with all this sort of stuff and you know you're putting in a lot of work so yeah no it's great thank you all good (laughs) cool great all right all right guys that was really good fun thank you good good to hear yeah all right lovely to meet you yeah you too and nice to you too right we're back um that was really good i want to say thank you very much to samantha for coming on and joining us and uh talking to us about all that uh about coral how did you find it jen yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and she explains it so clearly. You know, I didn't really know what bleaching was. No. So, no. And, you know, it doesn't, bleaching doesn't really explain outright what's happening to the coral. So, yeah. yeah. You've so got to do a dive in the UK, though. 
yes she probably won't see some amazing coral but yes just to have yeah, a dive in the uk you've got to experience <laughs> some uk diving definitely. even to see some wildlife like like you know friendly seals yeah absolutely yeah exactly everyone loves a friendly seal uh, but i found it really interesting and um you know uh, i love the bit about the parrotfish Mm. Um, I think that's really good and and I tell you what I really liked as well uh, probably more than anything is uh, the bit where it's good to know that the people who understand all this stuff I'm not talking about the likes of you and me I'm talking about the actual you know these scientists the people mm. who are advising the governments and that, that they all agree they can get round the table and agree on what needs to happen and what's going on. And then they go, they can get in front of these decision makers and say, look, this is what you've got to do, guys. Yeah, this is, this is what, how you do it. Yeah, yeah, this is what we've got to do. Because this is important stuff, isn't it? This ain't going to just affect the likes of us. It's going to affect my children and their children yeah. and their children for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the main thing is, yes, it is a problem, but we can start improving it, but it needs everybody's help. It does. It does. And, uh, you know, and uh, more good news is you've got the likes of China on board, mm. you know, who, you know, one of the big powers now, um, you know, third of the population in that one country, you know, to, to know that they're on board looking to make changes, you know, that's, well that's great for everybody isn't it? yeah because you can't go right you know one part of the world is going to be doing this and but the other part is not it's going to carry on as it was well they're the superpowers and they're the countries that can make an impact yeah so uh something else i picked up on so we've all so we've got citizen science where we all play our part mm-hmm. and we've got open science where these people who are finding these things out are then talking to other scientists about this is what we're finding, this is what's going on, and that needs to happen in sharing. other realms. Yeah, sharing yeah. the information. Yeah, share for the better good. That's yeah. what it's about. Yeah, and, you know, equally we found before talking to other people, there's very little sharing that goes on in the scientific world. No. If, even if it's like, identifying manta rays or whale sharks everybody needs to talk to everybody yeah exactly you know and that's 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 what is important at the end of the day power of communication yeah so uh, yeah that's great so uh, that's brilliant and uh, it's good to hear and what say you know thank you very much to samantha for coming on and giving us you know some further time so yeah and she'll be back at the end of the year you sounded like terminated and she'll be back she will be back yes <laughs> samantha will be back. <laughs> will be back yes so um just like the great man says but yes uh, so look out for her coming back in a few months time yeah so a great episode so let us know what you thought of the episode you can send us a DM, a message, an email on our social media account. You can send us an email or you can send us a message on the back phone. And let's face it, everyone's got an opinion on climate change. Haven't yeah. they? Because where, if you haven't, where have you been all these last few years? You know, um, if you read the 
websites, if you read the news, you know, if you got a, if you want to go and go and dive, you know, and enjoy these beautiful places, you know, you should be interested. You know, yeah, well, be, just my opinion. You can't not have an opinion. You can't. And uh, how can you not? be interested when you you know when you enjoy this sport you know that we all like you know we all love the, the sport of diving or free diving or whatever you know so uh we want to hear from you would that be really great let us know whether you agree do you do you, do you don't have to agree with us no do you agree you know, no. Let's, let's hear about it we're open um, to any opinions so yeah exactly um but also we ought to say you know uh, thank you to our lovely patrons who have joined us. That's brilliant. Um, you know, we could always do it some more. That'd be brilliant. Um, but there's a free way you can join and support the show, and that's by leaving us a review. So no matter where you go to download this podcast, whether it's on Libsyn, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, you get the Intel app. You know, you get all those links that take you straight to what we're talking about it's all free it's all out there you know and but leave us a review subscribe to the youtube channel and tell your buddies all about the big scuba so you know it just helps us it just helps us make more of these episodes that's a free way you can do it yeah and equally if you've got anybody you think we should have on as a guest yeah or any recommendations or yourself or recommendations on products or places to go, places to dive, then let us know and we'll mention it on the podcast. Certainly will. So coming up on episode 89, um, who have we got, Jen? <laughs> well, we've got possibly a couple of options. So we might be talking to um, the Go Diving Show, Mark Evans. Well, I think we're going to be talking to Mark maybe start of the week because... Um, Mark Evans is organising this uh, Go Dive and Roadshow um, that we want to help sort of share the word about and tell everybody. Um, so I think we're going to be talking to Mark early part of the week yeah. so we can get that out. And so look out for that. And then Tour Float should be out on Monday. Or yeah, Monday. so we're talking to a couple. They're based in French Polynesia on a boat. And is it Polynesia or is it Polynesian? <laughs> so they are a couple on a boat isn't it either knees or nays nose 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 or knees everybody's going to look at french polynesia or polynosia nasia soon you're gonna you're confusing me oh polynesia so, or Tahiti, let's put it easier, or Morea, or anywhere like that. So that's where the couple are based, and they're on a sailing boat, and they're divers, and they're going to talk to us about their experiences sailing and diving. Brilliant. Sounds great. Yeah. So sounds quite a lot of fun. So something a bit yes. different. We've not spoken to any sailors before. Uh, we have. Well, sailors and divers people that live on boats uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna stick up for our friends at, in the uh ministry of defense the mine clearance well sort of yes same <laughs> yeah it was slightly I, if you listen to these boat. guys i remembered you <laughs> yeah slightly different boat 
yeah, just a bit, I would say. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's that. And uh, obviously, uh, as we said, a little bonus uh, one for next week with uh, Mark popping on to tell us all about his Go Dive in Roadshow, which sounds yeah. fantastic. Well, we've certainly got plenty in the pipeline. But again, yeah, any recommendations, send them our way and we'll fit them in somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that'd be brilliant. So uh, look out for that. Right. It's been a busy one. Um, I think we're kind of done. Yeah, so we're recording this on Friday night. It's out Monday, so enjoy and uh, yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. And uh, we'll speak to you next week. Yeah, so check out our social media platforms: Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and you can see what we're TikTok. Oh, and TikTok as well. Yeah. Oh, YouTube Shorts. Don't forget that one as well. Yeah. So uh, there we go. So keep up to date with what we're up to. Yeah, certainly will. All right. Well, uh, as we said, that'd be good to hear from you all. And uh, thanks again for downloading this episode. But right now, until next week, that was the Big Scuba Podcast. Okay. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We are not affiliated with any agency or organisation and all opinions expressed in this episode are our own and those of our guests. If you wish to make any comments about this episode, then please do contact us via email or our social media platforms that are listed in the episode show notes. Alternatively, you can send us a message or voice message via WhatsApp on the Big Scuba Bat Phone. And the number is plus four four seven eight one zero 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 five nine two four. We will always respond promptly. And thank you once again for downloading this episode.